Section 11 of Short Stories from Locomotive Engineers Journal, Volume 52. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Short Stories from Locomotive Engineers Journal, Volume 52 by Various. The Redfield Will by F. A. Mitchell. When the late John Redfield's will was opened, it was learned that all his property, a goodly fortune, was left to his daughter Anne, with the condition that she marry the testator's right-hand man of business, Theodore Griffin. Griffin had been in charge of the Redfield Company for some time before its founder's demise, and since he was the only man who could squeeze a profit out of it, there was no necessity for making any other provision for its management." nothing was said in the will as to a refusal of griffin to marry anne redfield her father when she was passing into womanhood had told her that it was his intention to give her a good manager for the fortune he would leave her in the person of griffin anne was then too young to consider the importance of the plan to her and her father was led to believe that she would make no objection to it when the time came to fulfil the conditions there was no doubt about Griffin's acceding to it. This is why the will made no mention of a refusal on the part of Griffin to marry the heiress. If she refused to marry him, the stock of the Redfield Company, which would otherwise be hers, would go to Griffin. The residue of the estate would in this case be divided between several charitable institutions in which the testator had been much interested during his life. Mr. Redfield died four years after mentioning the matter to his daughter. When he did so, she was fifteen. At the time of his death, she was nineteen. She had told some of her schoolmates that she was to marry Griffin, and had made no objection to doing so. At that time it was a matter for the future, and she considered it a matter of course, as a boy may do who is brought up to understand that he is to enter a certain profession." but when Anne Redfield at nineteen found herself an orphan, and called upon to fulfill the conditions of her father's will, she was a woman, and had a lover who had nothing whatever to do with the condition, except that if she married him she would give up a fortune. David Corwin was the young man who had stepped in to prevent John Redfield's well-conceived plan from being smoothly worked out. David had been attentive to Anne for some time before her father's death, but Mr. Redfield was not observant, and quite often parents who are watchful fail to detect a love affair that is developing right under their noses. This one came to a head during Mr. Redfield's last illness. When the will was read, Anne was reminded of something the importance of which she had not realized, and which, never having been mentioned to her since she was fifteen years old, she regarded as a dead letter but even now it did not occur to her that Griffin would force himself upon her, she being unwilling. She sent for him, and told him that she could not marry her father's choice for her without violation of her feelings. Griffin replied that he had promised her father to do his part in carrying out the plan. If Anne would not do her part, he saw no way but that the property, other than the business, must go to the charities named in the will." Anne consulted a lawyer, who told her that under the terms of the will she must marry Griffin to inherit her property. There was but one way out of the dilemma, and that was for Griffin to refuse to marry her. 
this would make the will inoperative and she would inherit as heir at law the same as if there were no will she being the only child and there being no widow anne did not understand the legal distinctions in the case but she did understand that her inheriting her property and marrying the man she wanted depended on griffin's declining to marry her she sent for griffin and reported what the attorney had said the plan replied griffin was inaugurated by your father it received my sanction and he told me that you had made no objection to it i would not be justified in thwarting it by putting you in a position to render it inoperative i regret that the carrying it out has become obnoxious to you but that fact would not excuse me if i became a party to nullifying it but father could have had no object in making such a will except to ensure so far as he could my happiness four years ago he told me about this plan and i gave my consent to it had i refused that consent i am quite sure he would not have made such a will i was then a child now i am a woman father never intended that i should marry a man i did not wish to marry your father doubtless knew that your happiness largely depended upon the possession of the fortune he had been at such pains to build up he was aware that a girl of your age is not able to manage a large concern his money is all invested in the business and every one knows that a business without a manager will soon go to ruin if you marry a man who is not capable of managing yours you will be reduced to poverty i am sure i am warranted in saying that no man is capable of managing it who has not been brought up for the purpose your father brought me up for that very purpose his object in providing in the will that you should marry me was to ensure to you the enjoyment of the wealth he was leaving you had he left you free to marry whom you liked you would doubtless have married some young man utterly unfitted to manage a fortune that was tied up in a very intricate business the result would have been what i have said ruin for the business and poverty for you he brought you up with the understanding that you were to marry the manager of the business he left you this sounded so plausible that for the time being griffin appeared in anne's eyes a very noble man it seemed to her that she was the guilty one in not carrying out her father's wishes to which she had tacitly consented nevertheless her whole being rebelled against a marriage with griffin indeed it was not to be thought of she would marry the man of her choice even if she must relinquish a fortune she was quite sure he would marry her even if she were poor as a church mouse but anne found on consultation with others that they were not disposed to take her view of griffin's noble motives in not permitting her to enjoy her inheritance with the man she loved by refusing to marry her her lawyer told her frankly that griffin wanted the half million dollars he would get with her corwin said that he wanted her fortune or no fortune but some way must be found to persuade or force griffin to refuse to marry her thus enabling her to come into her own he consulted lawyers who told him that to comply with the statutes griffin must voluntarily refuse he could not be trapped or forced into a refusal there was a time limit in the will to anne's marriage with griffin by the time she was twenty-one she must marry him or lose her property when her father died she had just turned nineteen therefore two years remained before she was compelled to decide 
it was decided between david and anne that david should go to some unknown place anne had not told griffin that he had a rival and it was determined to still keep the matter a secret there was no difficulty in doing this for thus far it was known only to anne and david theodore griffin was one of those men who combine the social and business world his success lay in becoming intimate with rich persons and using them in a business way he used his club his friends even his church for profit one evening at the opera scanning the occupants of the boxes he encountered a pair of binoculars in the hands of a handsomely dressed woman leveled upon him the glasses were dropped at once but griffin wondered why the woman who was young and well favored had been gazing at him later pointing to the woman he asked a friend who she was and was informed that she was senora de barrancas the widow of a brazilian coffee planter and worth millions would you like to know her asked a gentleman sitting near griffin i certainly would was the reply i am a friend of hers and if you will give me references i will be pleased to present you she has only just arrived in the city and is unknown griffin found a friend who vouched for him and was presented to senora barrancas he found confirmation of his belief that he had attracted her attention because she had admired his appearance in the reception she gave him which was to say the least cordial she lamented being in a great city where there was so much to enjoy with no one to enjoy it with except her business manager the man who had introduced griffin and griffin told her that it would give him great pleasure to make her stay pleasant she told him that she had but a week in the city for she had the misfortune though a woman to be burdened with the management of large interests griffin devoted himself to the young widow for a week at the end of which he prevailed upon her to remain another week one morning anne redfield received a note from an attorney suggesting that a compromise might be effected in the matter of the condition in her father's will requiring her to marry griffin anne referred the note to her attorney who advised her to begin negotiations by offering griffin ten thousand dollars to refuse to marry her but before a reply to the offer was received david corwin turned up and taking anne in his arms announced that griffin had married the evening before corwin was in a position to give his fiancee a lot of information as to the bride for he had brought her from rio de janeiro himself had arranged her meeting with griffin indeed had arranged a trap for that gentleman which had been worked out very successfully senora barrancas was a hired adventuress and david had agreed to remunerate her handsomely out of anne's fortune if she could by marrying griffin insure it to its rightful owner the senora needed considerable funds to pose as the widow of a multimillionaire coffee planter and david had been obliged to borrow the necessary amount the wedding was sudden for the senora received a telegram sent by david that her interests needed her presence on her plantation and griffin concluded to snap her up without delay david and anne did not wait for the courts to pronounce her an heiress before getting married but it was some time before she received her inheritance then all the expenses david had incurred in bringing out senora barrancas were paid and the bride and groom began to enjoy their fortune End of section eleven